Ion 2020 episode 288. Have 2020 Vision with Ion 2020, your source for the news and events in the lead up to the 2020 presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date daily until November 2020 with a libertarian perspective on the candidates and their policies along with the news. Thank you for joining me. Now let's clear our vision. Hey, what's up, everybody? Happy Monday to you. Ion 2020, this is Ray your host, giving you what's going on with the 2020 election and keeping my eye on what's going on in this crazy United States that we live in. The craziness that's going on in the world with the whole coronavirus. That has pretty much been the topic of discussion for quite a while now. So let me give you a couple updates on things that are going on with the election, though. Uh, Libertarian candidates... I've been having some debates going on and stuff, which have been pretty good. I mean, you watch some of the debates, and there's quite a few different people that are on them every so often. Usually there's five or six people on each debate. It's not like everyone's on every debate. I saw one that had Adam Kokish on it once, and then they didn't have him on it the next time. He's the guy that, when he becomes president, he is going to, first day that he's in office, dismantle the government. And then uh, you have... This, the one that I see on it every single time is Jacob Hornberger and also uh, Vermin Supreme. So those two have been on all of them. And then the other day I was watching one that was the Kentucky debate and Justin Amash was on there. But the biggest news of the weekend was that Justin Amash decided that he was not going to run for president. Now he has decided to not put his hat in the ring for the Libertarian nomination. <clears throat> I think what he realized is that even in the Libertarian Party, there is a lot of, like, unknowns. There's a lot of things that are going on where... There's a lot of polarization, let's just say that. There's a huge polarization within the party uh, based upon where they want the party to go and stuff, and maybe he realized that because there is a huge group of people that are, like, very much Austrian Austrian economics-focused. They are the Mises wing of the party. And they have stirred things up quite a bit. I think a lot of them are going for Jacob Hornberger, who is really challenging the the way that the Libertarian Party goes with their message and the idea that we just don't want to have somebody who is going to be some wishy-washy Libertarian that's popular, but they, you know, his idea is to have a party that stands on principle because, we, because the Libertarian Party is the party of principle is what he says. And it's a message that seems to resonate with a lot of people who are principles-focused rather than just getting all the votes, getting all these votes and stuff. Um, The only challenge I see with that, and I've said this in the past, is that having a popular candidate that is also somebody who can carry a pretty solid message of liberty, smaller government and so forth, I think that that would be a good person to have in general. But... Yeah, they're going to go outside the principles in some ways. But you know what? Justin Amash did something really good for the party, and that is declaring himself to be a libertarian. Setting up a libertarian campaign committee to see if he wanted to be the president or see if it would be a realistic thing for him to be, uh, run for president on the libertarian ticket. Not that it's that big of a deal. But I think it would be great if he stays in Congress, and I said that in the past. And in Michigan law, you cannot run for two offices at one time, so... You can't run for president and you can't run for uh, 
the, the your, your Congress seat all at the same time. So that's a good thing that he got up because maybe he can win that Congress seat. Maybe a lot of libertarians will put money into his campaign, which I think that would be a very solid thing as well, which I think you should do it because having a yellow, you know, a yellow seat can inspire other people to turn libertarian as well. And I think that's going to do more for libertarians than anything else. It'll do more for third parties than anything else by having that one third party member in Congress. And that's crazy to think about that the two party duopoly has every single seat in Congress except for one. Every single seat in the Senate except for one. And that one is Bernie Sanders, who is basically. I mean, he was running as a Democrat, so he's a Democrat. But yeah, it's it's a great thing for that. So, I mean, with Justin Amash out, you know, the, the thing that he's going to do for the party is continue to run as a libertarian in his state and hopefully keep that seat and then also inspire other people to say, you know what, you can do it as well. If you're a Republican or a Democrat who wishes to become a libertarian, you know what, jump over here with me, hang out, we'll we'll do the libertarian thing together here in Congress. So that's a good thing. Um, And then the other big news is that basically there's no such thing as an election going on right now. I mean, you sit there and listen to the news and there is nothing going on with Joe Biden's campaign. They call it, uh, you know, he's stuck in a basement. They got him trapped in a basement somewhere. He does these little YouTube videos and stuff like that, which are getting no views whatsoever. There's no inspiration going on in that campaign. There's nothing that is worth even watching. And then Donald Trump isn't campaigning out there. He's not even consider, you know, concerned about the campaign right now. There's not even a 2020 election campaign going on with the Democrats and Republicans. It's absolutely crazy the way that the coronavirus has taken over. And now, with all this controversy going on with like the Flynn case and all that, it might blow up in Barack or in. Uh, it might blow up in Barack Obama's face, but it might blow up in uh, Joe Biden's face as well. And then the Democrats are going to say, oh no, there was no, you know, there's nothing here. Da, da, da. Same way the Republicans said it with the whole uh, Ukraine investigation. No, there's nothing here. There's no abuse of power. Same thing the Democrats are saying with Barack Obama, that there was no abuse of power. But Barack Obama literally told some told a state agency to spy on another campaign and all that, which, you know... They say it's not criminal. You know, there's no way you could charge someone criminally for it. And yeah, you know, I think it's just a sideshow. I think it's just something that is neither here nor there. I mean, the other uh, the powers that are in the presidency right right now and in the past are always going to try to do things to uh, keep their power. Right? They're always going to try to do things to undermine the competition, especially when it's one Democrat passing the baton over to Republican and vice versa. But yeah, it is a pretty big deal in that sense because now, I mean, now we're looking at it from a perspective of what's going to be done in the future. That's how I look at it. What's going to be done in the future? What's going to happen in four years or in, you know, next year if Trump has to turn the reins over to the Democrats and vice versa down the road? It's only going to get worse because there's more state power and the problem is not all the controversy that's going on it's the fact that whoever's in power has control of trillions upon trillions upon trillions of dollars so everyone's going to try to figure out ways to to manipulate that system that's the system that we live under 
is a government that has control of four and a half trillion dollars of normal spending every year and that increases every single year no matter what four and a half trillion dollars plus another three trillion dollars spent this year on coronavirus relief we have a government that does so much that it pays to have ways to to have influence over it it pays to have lobbyists up there to influence your politicians it pays to have the president of the united states in your pocket it's very important in their minds to have to, to the to business people to figure out ways to get stuff from the government for people in general to get stuff from the government we all we're forming our tribes we're forming our groups we're forming our political ideal ideologies we're forming our you know corporations and our you know group membership groups and all this stuff NAACP, ACLU, all these different groups. These alphabet groups are designed to try to get special favors for their constituents, to try to get special favors for their memberships, to try to get special members or special benefits for their stockholders or their shareholders. That's all they're trying to do. Foreign governments trying to figure out ways to get money from these Congress people. Earmarked to them. The problem is not the corruption that's going in, or the problem is there's, there's corruption going on up there, but that's a symptom of the bigger problem, which is our government controls too much. Our government has too much. They spend too much. They have too much power over everything that goes on in the United States and across the world. And that's why people are there trying to lobby. That's why the Democrats are trying to undermine the Republicans every chance they get and then you get somebody like Donald Trump who is going to be a different kind of Republican you saw that from the beginning a very populist Republican and Donald Trump is going in office and they're going to try to undermine him because he's not going to be the status quo Republican he's not going to be a George Bush or a Ronald Reagan or Richard Nixon or somebody that's part of the establishment, someone that is already in the swamp. He's not going to be somebody like that. He's going to do things a little bit different. He's going to shake things up a little bit. Whether for good or bad, I'm not saying either one. I'm just saying he's going to be somebody that's outside of the normal status quo of government. And that's scary to people that believe in government, depend upon government. So they're going to figure out ways to undermine him, send the FBI on him things like that, those are things that they do but it's because of the power that is vested in Washington DC they have the power of the military, school, education everything business sciences they can declare the earth flat and people will say it is there's just, that's how much power the government has the political leaders have that much power. So they'll do it. They will continue to fight and bicker and fight and all this junk. And you and I, we won't benefit from it. We'll join some group when we get older. We'll join different organizations and stuff like that, trying to have some kind of voice. We'll join a union trying to have some sort of voice in politics. But our voice 
is nothing because we because an individual voice is nothing up there and they don't care we're not going to benefit from that but everyone has their hands out everyone has their hands out trying to get more from the government and that's exact I mean that's what's going on with the Flynn cases they're just that's a symptom of the problem that's all it is <clears throat> so let me go ahead and change gears real briefly. I have a little bit of a uh, a uh, cough, and every time I cough, I feel like everyone's staring at me. And it's not even really a cough. It's like, uh, I don't know what you'd call it. it. It's seasonal allergies. I get it every year like that. But the biggest fear you have, and I'm sure all of you all have been in this position, is you walk into the grocery store and you're like, <clears throat> trying not to cough. As soon as you sneeze even a little bit, everyone looks your way. They're like pulling out their crosses, holding them up on you, trying not to, trying to stay away from you. Like you're a vampire. You're a zombie. Someone that's going to kill them. Everyone's freaked out, scared, terrified, right? But I'm willing to bet you, I'm willing to bet you, compared to the status quo before March, before March, even before February, definitely before February, but the status quo is that, right? You're going to football games, you're going to basketball games, you're going to different events. Just things are normal. How many contacts do you have per day on average? What is the average person, what is their number of contacts that they have on average per day? On average, because if you're in a normal situation, during the day, at work, you're going to come in contact with your work empl- people that you work with. You're going to go home, maybe go home and eat dinner, sit on the couch and watch TV and then go to bed. So your normal contacts are those people, and their normal contacts are probably the similar people, right? Wednesday night, you go to church, you interact with people there, then you go home. You might go out to dinner, interact there, go home. But how many close proximity contacts do you come into per day? Let's just say on average, because I would love to do the numbers on it, but I'd love to look it up, but I doubt there's been studies on it, but let's just say on average you have 100 contacts per day. On average, that's what the average American has every single day. And I bet it's less than that for most, for a lot of people. So, But let's just say it's 100. And then all of a sudden, the coronavirus hits, and you have, or you start noticing the coronavirus in March, and then like before the 15th, before there was any lockdowns done, you're sitting there and uh, you've already started to change the way that you're doing things. You already started to not go out to restaurants as much, not going out to different events, maybe you know slowing down on you know, on the amount of times you're going to church every single week and so forth. So now you're down to 75 touches, you know, contacts per day. But now your company sees the coronavirus is starting to get bad. They're you know it's getting hyped up on the news. And they say, you know what, hey, go ahead and work from home. Or as I've, as one of my friends, half of their, or I think like two-thirds of the employees were told to stay home and work from home. And then other people were allowed to come in. So now your normal contacts at work just went down even more. So now you probably have two-thirds less contacts than that. And that's all without government telling you what to do, right? So let's say without the government telling you what to do, you've cut down your contacts from 100 down to like 35 per day 
And if everybody did that in America, no matter what, you're going to limit the number of people that are going to get the coronavirus, right? That's just the way it is. That's the, I mean, that's the thinking that go. that's the rationale that I have on it anyway. And that's what social distancing was supposed to be, is to keep it in your mind to limit your contacts per day when there's something going on, when there's the flu, when it's a bad cold and flu season, hey, you know what? Limit your contacts. Social distance a little bit. We understand that. And I never heard the term social distancing before, but that was a recommended idea from the CDC well before the coronavirus. And the idea was social distance. That was it. Limit the number of contacts you have per day. If you can, don't go to church that week. If you can, stay home a little bit more. Wash your hands, clean your hands, use hand sanitizer. Be a little bit more careful and social distance. That's what social distancing meant before this. I think what happened recently, since nobody knew what social distancing was before this, no one really used that term, I think there's a problem that happened is that people understand social distancing now to be government-enforced lockdowns. That's what their interpretation interpretation of social distancing is. The, the government, by doing the lockdowns, by forcing people to stay home, by having mandates from government, that's their association to what social distancing is. So as soon as the government releases people to go out, they feel like everything's normal again. They, do, they go about their normal life again. Not everybody, but a lot of people do. And that's, to me, the, the problem with government. Is when the government says it, it changes the way that people perceive it in their mind. They go from, okay, this is the recommendations. Wash your hands, social distance, stay away from people in general, if you can. And do it willingly, right? And people are more willing to do it in their mind. When the government's not forcing them to do it. But you see it. It's like... You see it now when government says lockdowns are ended, you can go to the beach. It's almost like people at the beginning of a starting line of a freaking marathon, right? There's the line. As soon as they do that shotgun, that gun goes off and everyone starts running. The longer they wait until that gun goes off, the more anxious everyone gets. And then that gun goes off and they go running. But what if they just opened up what if they just opened up that starting line as people arrived? And then you got a ticket and when you get to the end, you give them your ticket and that's your time. There's no starting line at that point. That's how it is if there was no government mandated social distancing. There's no one forcing people to stop. So the beaches wouldn't have been as crowded last weekend. But the beaches were absolutely overran because everyone's at that starting line waiting to go. And as soon as they say go, everyone runs out there. And that's the, I mean, if I could paint that picture in your mind, that's what government force does. Is it causes people, they hold off, hold off, hold off, go. And they're out there. And they get out to the beach. They go out to the malls. They go to the stores. They go to the nail salon. There's people built up. Yeah, rules in place to make it happen where maybe you could limit things a little bit but everyone that pent up demand is there and they go for it 
And that's the, I mean, if you would have just not done the government force, people probably would have taken measures on their own. And those that didn't, you know what? Other people did, so they're forced to not see those hundred people a day. Someone that didn't social distance, that decided that they're not going to do anything, are going to be affected by those that do. So instead of seeing a hundred people a day, they might see 75 people a day. But the person that does social distance on their own willingly goes from 100 people a day down to 25 a day. And if they really get extreme about it, they might go down to one or two people a day. Or no people a day. But everyone's going to take things into their own hands. Then you're not going to have that crazy dash for the beach. So that is the... uh, That is my critique of social distancing. Of the force mandates. I think that you should social distance. I think that you should be careful. I think that you should walk into places and not shake people's hands at this point and use hand sanitizer and wash your hands and use soap and water because this is a dangerous disease if you get it, if you're over, you know, 65, if you have pre-existing conditions. If you're under 75 and you're still healthy, probably not as bad as if you're unhealthy. Like, that's... The thing that everyone needs to take into account on their own. But when government forces it, that means you get that build up at that starting line and then boom, everyone goes to the place where you're supposed to go. It's crazy, right? So I took some notes earlier today and I wanted to read them to you uh, just so that I can put some thoughts together as well, okay? I wrote, considering the, that measures that, the measures that some states are putting in place, for example, Washington State... You know, they have these contact tracers that will call you, right? And if you've been contacted by them, they're going and they're going to say, hey, you tested, you were around someone that tested positive for COVID 19. And then they're going to come and force you to quarantine. That's the idea. So these measures are being put in place by these government agencies or by the states that if you test positive for COVID-19, they're going to say, who are you around? So you're going to tell them everyone you're around, and they're going to call those people and tell them to quarantine themselves. Is that going to make me more likely or less likely to go get tested? If I start getting symptoms, I have a fever, and I know that those contact tracers are now going to contact everyone that they know, or that everyone that I know that I've been around, I think it'll make me less likely to go to the doctor initially to get tested. It's going to make me scared. They're going to say, you're going to have to stay home for 14 days. And you know what? Anyone that you talk to, we're going to figure out who they are and we're going to tell them to stay home for 14 days as well and force that. We're going to make them quarantine themselves. In my mind, I'm thinking to myself, I don't know, and I bet most people are like this. You probably might be like this as well. But that's a huge inconvenience when I could just suffer at home for a little while, get myself better, and be normal, right? And not having to tell everyone, or not having the government do what they're doing, which is intruding on my health, intruding on my life. Yes, probably better for me to let everyone around me know that I was around, hey man, I got COVID-19. But when the government gets involved and steps in and decides that they're going to be the purveyor of this news, it scares people. It's like a, it's the idea... That you don't want to be that guy that is the one that gave it to everybody, right? 
or that girl that gave it to everybody. I wonder how many deaths are caused by the person that just didn't want to go get tested. So they get worse and worse and worse until finally it gets so bad that they go to the hospital and they die. That's what I wonder. Like, the terror of... I mean, I know when I get a cold, the first thing I do is take as much medicine as I can. I don't tell people, hey, I got a cold. No, I just kind of keep to myself and I wash my hands a little bit more and I, you know, try to make sure that people don't see me sneeze. If I had the flu, I would take a bunch of medicine and probably go about my normal day. Like, I don't got time to be sick. That's what I always say. I don't have time to be sick. So I take as much medicine as I can, get myself better, and go and do what I do. Maybe spreading things around, that's terrible, right? But I bet you people with COVID-19 are, if they do get it, are they going to be going to the doctor for it if they know that there's like consequences to it? They're, they're going to have to pay a price for letting people know that they have COVID-19 or being tested for it. I just think that that's not a good outcome if that was the case. They're going to have contact tracers that are calling all your friends and letting you know. And then locking them down. Locking them down. Forcing them to stay home. Under penalty of law. Under penalty of of going to jail. And if you resist that, you'll die. You know? Because you know cops will get you for resisting arrest. And if you go the full force, boom, done. So people will put off those tests, I guarantee it. And that's going to be blood on the hands of, of, that, of that system. I mean, it's obviously blood on their own hands for not doing it, but that's the rationale that those person's going to have. All these things that are being put in place to force people. When you know what? If you're 40, if you're 25, like 24 and under, 79 deaths. 24 and under, 79 deaths nationwide. Let those people go about their own da- own damn business. Don't go around your grandma. Let them know that. If you would have spent $3 trillion... Oh, they did. They spent $3 trillion so far trying to stop COVID-19. Or pay people for staying home or whatever. And all this crap that they've done. All this spending that they've done to stop COVID-19. They could have spent like... $100 billion total and threw all these people on a cruise to freaking wherever. All the people that are high risk and older, anyone over 60, send them on a cruise for two months. They could have did that and saved a lot more money and let everyone else go about their business, develop herd, herd immunity, and then move on. You know? And that's it. The other thing that I want to talk about, I'll make this one short, because I haven't done super amount of research on it. I was just kind of thinking about it earlier today, is this. You have epidemiologists, right? These people, I wish I could say that right every time. So, But you have epidemiologists who agree on some things and disagree on others, right? That is science, guys. Science is this. You come up with a, you observe something, you come up with a hypothesis, you test it. If the test comes out accurate, you talk about your data and that's it. If it comes back different from what your hypothesis was, you 
go back with that data, change your hypothesis, and go through the process again. If everything matches up and it looks good and the data's there, then you then you do it, right? But they always say in science there's no truth, like nothing is a fact. Like every so often something can change, and as soon as something changes, then you have to go back and change the hypothesis. It's a scientific method. It seems to me that we're still going on, we're still reacting to COVID-19 the same way they were in China in January, the same way they were in America in March, and it's the end of May almost now, and we're still reacting to it the same way as if no new data came out and no new hypothesis has been made and no new science has come out. Epidemiologists disagree on COVID-19. There's the minority group, there's the majority group, there's different groups of people who agree on some things and disagree on other things. Just like climate climatologists and people that study the climate, they agree and disagree on other things. There's facts, or there's observed data that they have, and other people disagree on different outcomes or ways that you put in that data to come out to a different source or different outcome, different hypothesis different observations like everyone it's it's there's different people who believe different things about what you should do to mitigate the losses of death or the mitigate the deaths from COVID-19 but we're still doing the same thing over and over again and the problem is is that the media is only listening to what i mean the government the government is the last is the first source on this stuff right they're the ones that if the media says if if you're in the media you're listening to who and I, this is this is going back to like youtube and facebook they said that if people are saying things other than what world health organization says or the cd says then they're going to take that down off of their website they're going to take those things down that's the same thing the regular media is doing. MSNBC, Fox, CNN, a lot of them, in an effort to so supposedly not spread misinformation, they're only going by what World Health Organization says. That gives a monopolist group a lot of power down the road. That you can censor other people. Sorry, I don't know that this is making the perfect sense because I haven't rash- I haven't put this, these thoughts completely together in my mind but it just gives a monopolist group like the World Health Organization or CDC a lot of power that what they say is fact and gospel and if you're not saying that then we're going to censor you because if that was the case science would never move anywhere because government agencies do not react fast and do not change their ways. We know this because the government agencies are still saying we should do things today as they were saying in March, when there's new data that's come out since then. New data has come out about the coronavirus and they have not changed their recommendations since then. They're not taking new data into account to present new data in order to change what we're doing with regards to this coronavirus thing. So, that's my problem. That gives the CDC and the World Health Organization way too much power, unelected bodies, first of all, 
not that I think elected bodies should have that much power anyway, but unelected bodies, and if you're saying something different than them, we're taking you off of the media. No one's going to hear your voice. That is not science, guys. Science is always asking questions. Always being curious. Always trying to find new data, new information. Always questioning the old data. And then moving on from there. And they tell you to... They tell you to listen to the science. That's what they tell you. Listen to the science. Those are not scientists if they're saying... This is how it is, and that's it. Those are opinions. Anyway, guys, I will go ahead and wrap that sh- this show up. I apologize that I went a little too long today. Uh, well, I guess I guess I usually go about 30 minutes or so. So I appreciate everyone that continues to join the show every single day. I've actually noticed the numbers going up again, so, uh, like significantly again, so that's good. Um, it was going up a little bit. It went down for a little while because a lot of people are staying home, and I don't think people literally really... Um, or people are more likely to listen to the show when they're driving, I guess. But now that people are out and about, starting to notice a show coming back uh, where I'm getting more listeners. So thank you for coming back and listening to the show. Thank you for coming back every Monday and Thursday as well uh, to find out about what's going on with the elections and what's going on with the coronavirus. Uh, keep on joining me every Monday and Thursday. Also, Facebook, I Am The Empire, is where you can find me there on Facebook and on Twitter. Also, IamTheEmpire.com. And then... Uh, Subscribe to the show if you like what you hear. First-time listeners, thank you for joining. And uh, if you are interested in emailing me, you can email me at rayatinthempire.com as well as through Messenger on the Facebook group, uh, or the Facebook uh, page that I have. You can message me there. And uh, five-star ratings and reviews are always helpful, so go ahead and hook me up with one of those. Five-star ratings on Apple, especially those uh, help with the algorithms and stuff. So thanks for joining me again, and keep on coming back, and I will speak to you on Thursday so you can have clear vision for 2020.